Um, I'm get, I'm up here. I'm not preaching tonight, but I'm up here to introduce our speaker tonight. Uh, some of you know him, some of you don't. But uh, Jeff Warner is here tonight, and he is a former scum staffer. He used to be on staff. Um, how long ago was that? Five years ago. And before that, Jeff uh, was the pastor of our morning service when that was going on. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We still hang out, and they come around scum every now and then. But, um, yeah, so he's going to bring the message tonight to you tonight. So, please welcome Jeff Warner, everybody. Hi. I've been bugging Dave to let me come speak for a while, so persistence pays off. (laughs) All right. The Lord be with you. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. 175 years ago. My glasses are awful. I have to do this. 175 years ago, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This is the opening paragraph of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, originally published on December 19, 1843. A 1984 film version, the film version as far as I'm concerned, um, according to many, rewards this introduction a little bit this way. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful will come of this story that I'm going to relate to you. Um, I was going to read that in a fake English accent, but I'm intimidated with Shara here. I can't do it now. (laughs) I admit it. I I prefer that version. Um, It kind of wants that that version of the introduction. It kind of wants for the subtlety and the wit of Dickens' text, sure. Uh, It's relatively straightforward, ushering us directly into the story as though the narrator were himself one of the spirits, pressed for time, providing us with what we really, really need to know before we can begin. Um, Now, similarly, in preaching and professional ministry circles, there's a little word that means just that, stuff that we really, really need to know about a passage from the Bible beforehand so that we can responsibly engage and hopefully apply it Responsibly, and that word is anybody? Context. Yeah. I mean, so like these things don't happen in a vacuum. Stories don't happen in a vacuum. There's always something going on around it. It's not as meta as uh, uh, we're going to tell a Bible story. So we got the felt board up here and everybody in position, and somebody cues it and they come out and say, Lo, a star in the. E-. No, it's not like that. Um, In Scripture, there's a distinct collection of who's, what's, when's, where's, why's, how's, 
the author of whatever book, whatever it could be the Psalms, it could be the, the books of the law, it could be whatever, um, the author is recording this event or these events or these thoughts for a very specific reason for very specific people. Um, and it's not always terribly explicit and it's not always very clearly explained. You kind of got to do a little bit of work with it. Um, one might use a commentary or some other kind of reference tool, study Bible notes, etc., to help out, and, and those are fine things. Uh, something that I like to do, which we're going to do together here in, in just a minute, is lose my place. That's terrible. <laughs> which we're going to do together here in just a minute is we're going to kind of fill in the picture from the clues that are in the passage and kind of look at what's going around in the background of the story, um, in the background of the passage. In this case, we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 1, 5 through 11. At this most festive time of the year, more Dickens, one typically will hear a great deal of expounding on Luke chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, which is truly great stuff. It's fun to study, you know, if that's your thing, and it's mine. But as I went digging into Luke's gospel for something adventy, I found myself loitering around the front of the chapter. I found myself wanting to know about what was going on in the background. If it were a movie, I would have been wanting to know about the other people in the scene. You know, those people ordering coffee while the main characters plot and laugh and provide necessary exposition. I think that there's a lot that happens in the background, a lot in the stories that you don't really know. I believe that there is a lot there for your encouragement, scum of the earth, my brothers and sisters. Let's take a look. Luke 1, 5 through 11. There it is. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a Cohen named Zechariah who belonged to the Aviah division. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elsheva. Both of them were righteous before God, observing all the mitzvot and ordinances of Adonai blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elsheva was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now one time, when Zechariah was fulfilling his duties as Cohen, During his division's period of service before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the Kohanim, to enter the temple and burn incense. All of the people were outside praying at the time of the incense burning when there appeared to him an angel of Adonai standing at the right of the incense altar. And the first thing you may have noticed is that I'm not reading from a commonly cited translation like NIV or NRSV. Uh, I'm reading kind of on purpose from the complete Jewish Bible. Uh, I personally like the way that it helps set the tone for what we'll be looking into here. Um, I'm going to take a fair bit of liberty with this text um, to kind of fill in the background. I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, and I hope that it will set up clearly what we're going to do with this. So uh, we're going to look at three things. And the first thing I want to look at tonight is that there is present in this story a community of faithful people. 
a community of people that the centrality of their lives comes together around following their God, Adonai, and observing his principles. Community of faithful people in this text. In the first chapter, Luke places an emphasis on the temple practices as a good thing. Um, Zechariah is of the properly proper priestly lineage, willingly and faithfully performing his duties, particularly the task at hand, incensing the altar within the Holy of Holies. Now he and his wife are counted as faithful believers in this text, despite the social and religious stigma of being childless. Um, and I've got a little aside here. Uh, as an aside here, how could they be faithful believers in a time before the cross and the resurrection of Jesus? While that's surely a sermon for another day, I think you can sum it up this way. Throughout the pages of Scripture, throughout the whole council of Scripture, the Lord God has only ever done things one way. And he's only asked one thing of mankind, to believe him and his word. Not believe in him like some abstract concept that requires our validation to be activated, or I believe in this thing because I want it to be true, or I believe in this thing because it pushes my agenda, or whatever the case may be, but to believe in him by trusting, by obeying, by seeking. This communicates a relationship, and we'll get to that, a little bit more about that in just a minute. So Zechariah and his wife are counted a faithful and believing family. They observed temple practice because they believed. And so Luke goes on a little bit later and mentions the multitudes outside praying during the, during the ceremony. Again, in this text, um, Luke is carrying this implication that the assembly was there out of faithfulness. Uh, one commentary I read dropped this really fancy word called halakhic meaning that they observe the principles of the... I forgot the word. It's gone now. Um, but they were faithful, and they observed the Lord's commands, the Lord's ways, joyfully and willingly. Um, this faithfulness in their time, and very much like ours, is a costly faithfulness. The temple community is surrounded on all sides by other practices, the ways of other gods, most notably in this case, the Roman Caesar cult. The story of Adonai's people from the outside looking in is a story full of disappointment, abandonment, and judgment. Hypocrisy, deceit, failure, that's what it can look like to outsiders. Yet like we talked about earlier, that the story has always ever been about faith so the story will always contain a remnant, a people who have always been faithful in spite of the storms and the calamities around them. Luke shows us this in his narrative. These people, this multitude, they're here because they believe. They want to be here. They've chosen to be here. In spite of desperate times when hope is really needed, they choose their God and his ways. That's kind of like you guys. I mean, is there anybody here tonight that doesn't want to be here? Is there anybody here 
that is kind of here against your will, that did not choose to come. Uh, the second thing I would like to bring out of this text. The community in this story is a relational community. You know, they, they lived their lives together, did, did their stuff together. And like I said before, you didn't get to go to a different temple on the other side of town or in the next village over. You lived your life within a community of people who had the same practice and the same lifestyle. You know, on the way to temple, somebody might have asked Zechariah how his health was. And another guy asked some other dude how his carpentry business is doing. You know, how's that kid of yours? You know, whatever. You could, you could go on and on. These people knew each other. They lived their lives together. And I, I don't see any need to expound on this too much uh, for scum of the earth. Um, you guys, no one in this city, and I don't know of very many churches in other cities, that does community as well as you do. I just don't think it happens. It's unprecedented. Um, I lost my place again. I'm so sorry. No one does it like you guys. You know each other. You love each other. Your children know each other and love each other. People have come and gone from regular attendance here and are still connected by ties that cannot be broken by time and distance, and you still love them and know them the way that you love and know each other that are here every time the doors are open. When one of you has a thing, a show, a tragedy, a joy, you guys are always there. Um, and from personal experience, I can, I can say this. Um, when we, me and my family, moved to Texas in 2013, leaving from here, it's 2018, and the people that mean the most to us in this world still run through this building right here. We will never get away from that. Those ties are forever. In a time and environment where you can go to a church or a gathering place on literally any corner that will accommodate just about any screwy notion that a person can come up with. You guys choose here. You choose to gather here where the teaching of the Lord's way is sound and where the community is sincere, despite a lot of cosmetic and social quote-unquote differences. And the Lord God has been honoring that for nearly 20 years that's amazing. That's unprecedented that something that started in a guy's living room 19 years ago is still here and is still going. As long as these doors are open and as long as you continue to come through them, I just don't have any problem absolutely believing that God will be honored and be in your midst. And this brings us down to the third and final point. Um, before we go into, before we come to the Lord's table and continue in worship. Um, the third point, these people in this story here, this temple community, these people remained faithful and relational during a time where there was very little hope to be found. I alluded to this earlier, but let's unpack it just a little bit. For these second temple era folk, 
Life was marred with disappointment, with unfulfilled promises, with a puppet king whose strings were pulled by the pagan overlords, the ruler of which was held to be the god now. They were back in their land, but they were not yet home the way they should have been at home. There had been no prophets, no new word from God in literally centuries. Yet their God, the one God, still had work to complete, and they, the faithful, held to the last word given. It's like in the military. Um, I don't know who has experience in military. I know that guy has because I knew him when I was in the military. Um, when you're in the military, it's simple. You follow the last order given. The last word given is what you stick with, and this is what these people are doing. Uh, that's faithfulness. They held tenaciously to their community and to the ways of their God. That is exactly where the story of Zechariah and the angel and the whole Christmas story opens is waiting and waiting, and it doesn't feel like there's hope, but you're still waiting. So where are you guys? Where are we in this story? Are there disappointments in this community? Sure. Are there things that you thought you would see come to fruition that simply haven't? Sure. Does it feel to you like the wagon is shaking so hard that the wheels might fly off at any moment? Like maybe you want to abandon ship, but, you know, God, he hasn't given you the word to go. Do you feel that way? Some of you do. It's a cruel knot that you have to wrestle with. Um, it's not without pain that after 19 years, it's not the children that are leaving home, but the parent. That sucks. Yet you're here. You're going to continue to be here. Tonight, like every other Sunday before and every other Sunday to come in the foreseeable future, you'll have a meal together before you go home. You will call and text each other. You will see each other at different groups, at your ugly sock parties or your concerts, in your homes or right here every week to hear instruction from the Word of God, to partake of His table, to pray for each other in the prayer cave. Have I missed anything? Your lives, the ones you share so freely with each other, the ones you seek our God with, are what will sustain you during times of transition and uncertainty. That is a gift from our God, my friends. A gift that is more powerful than any worry, any anxiety, or any transition. And you scum of the earth, use that gift exactly the way that God intended you to use it. And that is an encouraging thought. You don't need to be told this, but I will say it anyway. Love God, love the Lord, and love each other, and you will have peace. The Lord be with you. We're going to turn our hearts and our attention now to continued worship. Um, we will say prayers. We will take communion. We will sing. If you need prayer, there's the prayer cave. Somebody would love to pray with you. 
Open your hearts. Do what you do best. Now, as regards the Eucharist, the thank offering, give thanks after this manner. First, for the cup, we give thanks to thee, our Father, for the holy vine of David, thy servant, which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To him be the glory forever. And for the broken bread, we give thanks to thee, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To him be the glory forever and ever. And as this bread was broken and scattered upon the mountain, gathered together and become one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen.